correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Welcome to Opcast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. Our podcast does in-depth reviews covering everything from first edition to the newest story path edition of the books published for the Trinity Continuum, including Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, Anima, Aegis, and whatever else is going to get added in. Today, we'd like to shout out another member of the D20 Radio Network. We are going to shout out Miskatonic University, a Call of Cthulhu role-playing podcast. They do interviews, actual play, and discussions about Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraftian-related role-playing games. So if Cthulhu and the mythos are your thing, go check them out. What are we talking about today? Fellow hosts who should introduce themselves, I'm Josh Heath. Who are you all? I'm Scott Cuban. You can find me on Twitter at Simulacra RPGs and my actual play channels on Twitch and YouTube at Simulacra TV. And I'm Chaz Kellner. You can find me on Twitter as at StoryToldChat. I am soon going to be recording my next Exalted AP, which will appear on the Pain in the Dice podcast. Awesome. So today we are talking about a first edition Trinity Continuum, not, not Trinity Continuum, man. Today we are talking about Lunar Rising, which is a first edition Aeon book or Trinity book, if you want to be accurate about how they labeled things, but I'm, I don't care about that. This is the book for Psy Order ISRA and Luna setting. I love this book. I think this book really set the tone for the order slash physical locations books that they put out for this edition. I think it has great art. I think it really delves into the order, both in an in-play and an out-of-play fashion, as well as Luna, and really, really hit it out of the park in terms of describing Luna and the Psy Order uh, in a way that made them a very intriguing, and specifically because we don't know anything about what Luna is going to be if and when we ever colonize it. So this is a very interesting, bold vision of it that's very rich and detailed. Josh, what do you think about Luna Rising? This is a fantastic book. What I find useful about this book versus Terra Firma, which is the newest edition that covers Luna, this book gives you much more detail, like way more detail on Luna and the locations in Luna. It also makes Luna feel much bigger in this edition than it feels in the Story Path edition. I like that sense of Luna being a very large colony, for lack of a better term, a large location in the solar system, as well as giving you all of the uh, places in the Lagrange points, the various uh, orbital points between Earth and the moon. It gives you a lot of places to play with, which is great. I think almost more than more than any other book, this exemplifies the idea of Trinity Continuum, really great update, but for the meat, you want to go back to first edition. It's a great place to mine data and information and story seeds because they go into that much more level of detail. Yeah, from, from my perspective, I've only read 
the story path versions of Luna, but like everybody I talked to about Aeon who, who played first edition is like, oh my God, Luna, oh my God, IRSA, mm -hmm. uh, or ISRA rather. And I, is it, is it this book that really gets sets those, those apart? Yeah. Absolutely for Luna in does, particular. Yeah. yeah. Oddly, I don't love the ISRA ISRA stuff here. It's good, but the Luna stuff I absolutely adore. So the the Ezra stuff is like cool. I've got that here. Yeah, I mean, I like I like the Ezra stuff too. It's very it's very interesting. We do get a fairly different version of ISRA between the the versions once you get into like the lower level, mm -hmm. uh, which I suppose we can start talking about, given that that's the first part that the book goes. Can uh, I talk about a random segue first? Absolutely, you can. Okay, so Otha Herzog mm -hmm. is was born in Mali. He has a German name because he was a refugee from Mali into Frankfurt, which we find out in this book. And I'm not quite sure why he changed his name. Otha Herzog is a very German name, mm -hmm. but he is depicted very white, for lack of a better term, in his pictures. Like, Mali is a very interesting country because it borders and has six, okay, background. Mali is the country I did most of my undergraduate and graduate research and, and stuff on. So I know probably an outsized amount about the country. I'll try not to make this a long segue, but like it is a very ethnically interesting country. The pictures of Otha don't make him look like a person that would necessarily have come from this area. That is just a random thought that I have about him. I'm just, it makes me want to dig in and ask questions of the developers and maybe the art director. And that's it. Sorry, random segue. No, I mean, that's a valid a valid point to bring up. I mean, it is discongruous dis from his origins and they have enough white people in the proxies, I think. Although now that I think of, think about it, I'm trying to run through my head. I know Larson is European. Larson and Zwiedler are the only yeah, two Europeans, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point, why they would do that. I mean, the art is, it can be ambiguous in places, mm -hmm. but yeah, you're right. He is, leans towards white, but very good thing to bring up and very good questions to consider. But I did anyway. I know he was from Mali. Yeah. So I got reminded while I was reviewing this today, mm -hmm. it's mentioned in the Story Path edition as well, but it just made me, it made it stand out to me and go, oh, hey, this is a, an interesting tidbit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so let's talk uh, about the subgroups. Let's talk about the subgroups. Let's talk about what they present in ISRA. So is that what the book opens up with? Yes. Is the ISRA stuff? Okay, mm -hmm. it does. It start the way the, the 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 structure of the book is in the in play section. We talk about the ISRA, then we talk about Luna, and then in the out of play section we go ISRA and Luna. Okay, um, so that's that's where it starts. So yeah, we get a lot of history about the ISRA and about Otha personally. There is, this is presented as all, all Aeon first edition books are with a healthy in full color in play chapter with a lot of different sources of information. Talks about the general agenda, the organization of the ISRA, which is incredibly loose and, and not very well hierarchical. And yeah, so the biggest change, the biggest difference that we have in 
from first edition into story path edition is the subgroups of the ISRA. Now, this is something that carried over to all the other order books and that they had a small grouping of definitive subgroups, which then had mechanical support in having new ability groups, which if you recall from our first edition Aeon is how they managed character creations by giving your training uh, exampled by having a group of skills that you receive a group of dots in, very much presaging the path system. Right. If you were going to implement something like this in Story Path Edition, you could easily have variant story paths for the different factions, like we saw for some of the Psy Orders in Prometheus mm -hmm. Unbound. Yep, yes, absolutely. absolutely. So the, the the groups themselves, we have the... The Mashriki. Mashriki, yes. So the Mashriki, I'll steal your thunder, Scott. Gotcha. Are the leadership of... Mm -hmm. The order, they are the hand-picked people by Herzog to be figureheads over particular areas of operations, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. It's very loose, though. Yeah. Like, they're leaders in, in more like disciples than anything. Yeah. it's It actually is very interesting. It calls back a little bit to how Divis Maul arranges Pantheon. Yep. A very much of I have it is you have gained the acknowledgement of Otha Herzog as an important person, and thus you have this title and people uh, the, the 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 structure just forms around it. Interesting use of this term, Mashriki. They mention it pretty pretty throughout this is that Herzog being a Baha'i and he carries a lot of that over into the order. And this has always been an interesting point in my in my life because my wife was raised Baha'i, so we've had some a number of interesting conversations regarding this and that word doesn't mean what it means here. Right. I, I don't recall exactly what it means in the actual Baha'i religion, but it's not a one for one. Like that's not a concept that maps to that word. So let's chalk this up to good old white wolf get, going halfway and getting it right. Yeah. It is really interesting. Their word choices mm -hmm. in general, because they mix some Arabic terminology, which makes sense from an Otha Herzog being from Mali standpoint, Arab Arabic is a major language of the country. He is a Baha'i. It makes some sense. Baha'is are not Muslims, but there is overlap. And that's a long story and confusing, mm -hmm. but they don't always use these terms right. Yeah. And that is what it is. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense to agree because Baha'i is a very it's a very open religion. It's a religion that says that there is truth everywhere and that God has spoken to many people in many different ways. And, and, and this is just another way of thinking about it and trying to, it's, it, it, it's a religion that tries to open up its arms as wide as possible, mm -hmm. which is absolutely fitting for the ISRA. There's a lot of that, that same bones and DNA there. But yeah, so I, each of these Mashriki have oversight over some of the other groups, including the first is the Joycean ISRA, which has the Mashriki of Philip Vaughn Williams, who is, they are very strange. They're much, they're pretty much the hardcore visionary prophecy-based analysis of clairsentience as an information gathering and, and, and prophetic utility. The term Joycean comes from the, the stream of consciousness way of Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce that they use as a primary tool for analyzing clairsentience. So this is very much the, we're going to sit around a navel gaze and think about our visions of the future and try and mine our visions for, for interesting and useful data style. I can't really see someone 
doing much in terms of being like an active out in the universe and, and helping helping actively, but this is very much a support faction within the ISRA. Very interesting from a conceptual standpoint to you know, have this background of I'm very skilled at understanding this stream of consciousness vision that's coming in through my psi abilities. So I feel like I didn't really get this group until I went into the back of the book mm-hmm. and read the NPC write-up for Von Williams. That's not his name. Von, yeah, Von Williams. Mm-hmm. Then it clicked for me because his background makes this make sense a little bit more, or at least it ties it together for me. I think they're an interesting group. I don't see how they would make any sense in the story path edition. Mm-hmm. There's, I think, a really distinct reason that none of these groups, basically, except mm-hmm. the Mashrikia in general, made it into the story path edition. But that said, I think you could mine some of these mm-hmm. for people and ideas. Yeah. And then we have the Hajj, which I believe some version of this does come over to the story path edition. And these are basically the, the, the people who are mapping space, jump ship pilots. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are out there doing, doing space exploration first and foremost. So I don't think they call it that, but you can def- there is definitely some carryover there. Yep. Very briefly described here in the sections. And then we have probably, I think my favorite of these factions, the Doctrine ISRA. These are rebels in a group that doesn't have much to rebel about. They are the loyal opposition to Otha's leadership and, and methodology of leading ISRA. They're very much, they are activists. They are people who want to go out and act upon the visions that Clairsentience has provided them. And it, it is summed up, I think, in one of my favorite interchanges in the book here, uh, which I'm going to read pretty much whole, hard, whole, whole cloth here. It's a quote from a doctrine design, basically. It says, neither left nor right. Notes from the editor. Doctrine maneuvers. January 5th, 2120. Do something, Otha. Get off your asteroid and lead us. Then on the next page, on the bottom of the page, we have uh, from the desk of Otha Herzog. My dear doctrine brothers and sisters, I see by your use of the word asteroid that you are inhibited in speaking about my posterior. Please feel free to use arse or but. I will not be offended. Besides, despite your attempt at clever wordplay, Prof Hayal, which I'm mangling, is, as you know, not an asteroid, but an art- artificial orbital space station. Meanwhile, my butt, like the rest of me, serves the newetic totality, even when it looks like it's just sitting there, what looks like doing nothing. Your good friend, Otha Herzog. <laughs> I adore that. That is such a great little interchange. And it shows the, the relationship between this faction and Otha Herzog. They are, the re- they are the rebels for whom there is no resentment for being rebelled. They are doing exactly what Otha wants them to do. And thus there's no need to push back against them. I, I love that. That just speaks, uh, that speaks to what the ISRA is, in my opinion. Yeah. And some ideas of the ducks, the doctrines carry over into story path. Mm-hmm. Uh, about this idea of them, there being some Isra folks that are anti-Herzog. Mm-hmm. So you could deepen that if you want to create like a full faction for them. Yeah. Next, we have the Muzzian Bang faction, mm. uh, which uh, they've mentioned Bang in Story Path Edition a little bit, nowhere near as they've gone into it in, in the first edition. Bang is this very m- adaptable music style, entertainment style that is popular in the youth. And Muzzian Bang is a version of that that incorporates clairsentient vision through special bioware. So you have these 
basically raves that are filled with imagery and sound that are filtered clairsentient visions that have been known to induce basic level clairsentient trances in the people who listen and attend the shows. And this faction is very much crystallized around that concept. Again, not given any like real like leadership from Othar Herzog or the, the, the leadership, but it is a significant portion of Aya and I certainly love the crap out of that being an old kid, kid who went, used to go to raves That's, as an idea. It's cool. They're cool. Yeah. I may be running an actual play based around that idea <laughs> right now. <laughs> Luna Rocks, check it out. Next, we have the Quidaya. The Kadia. Kadia. Okay. Mm -hmm. They are the judges and detectives. This is a theme that runs through a lot of first edition Aeon, is that most of the side orders have a... Uh, a faction that exists to police it, the Psy Order itself. While this faction does do a lot of like criminal justice and uh, law enforcement assistance, it is also dedicated to tracking down members of ISRA who are abusing their powers and not fitting in with the overall humanistic and positive agenda of the Order. This is another one of those groups that when you get to the section on the NPC who's involved with this group, who I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. He, whomever he is, is a former Pakistani general who committed war crimes Ooh. and has completely renounced everything he used to believe in. And he's very much Thanos post-initial Infinity Gauntlet, like trying to be a farmer and actually like, I want to do good things now with my mm -hmm. life. Like, can you forgive someone like that? I don't know. That's a question. That's an open thing. But like he's trying and also trying to like keep Isra on the up and up. Like mm -hmm. he could be sinister if you wanted to make him that way, but he's written as trying to do good things. Yeah, someone who's on a redemptive path. Yep. And yeah, that's very interesting. Then we have the Shadow, which are very much the social manipulators and social movers of the group. They're cosmic matchmakers. They're in the business of make, forging connections between people that are positive for them, for the people themselves and for the noetic totality as a whole. Basically, these are, these are the Bene Gesserit mm -hmm. uh, in many ways. They are a faction devoted to making sure that the right people are connected to one another. And a very interesting callback to that. Then we have the Messianic Baha'i. Uh, who are the much more religious aspect of the Aya. There is a theme of not so much worship, but uh, definitely idolization of Otha Herzog in this faction. People believe that Otha is a religious figure and that the Aya serves a religious purpose. And in, in contrast to the Ductrans, who are in active protest and rebellion against Otha Herzog, Otha Herzog doesn't like these. He's not down with it. He'd rather they not be because he's not comfortable with, with that role and that idea of him. So, but it exists. Very interesting. I don't, this certainly hasn't made its way into the story path edition. So I believe there are shades of this in Prometheus Unbound, mm -hmm. but you're not as quite as strong as it is in this edition, because in first edition, remember that the idea was that there these factions exist to create tension internally and externally in the things Story Path Edition is very much more like everyone can get along. There are like the hope is actually a main theme here, mm -hmm. less less so than all of the like negative elements of the themes. And finally, we have a faction that is not a faction at all. And it's known as the Innocents. And this is essentially the, it is people who are probably not psionic at all, but people who are being watched by the ISRA either as potential members of the order or potential scions or just important people. This ties into the 
subtle authoritarianism, subtle like the ability to watch and understand everything nature of Clarsentience and Otha Herzog. They are, these are people who are considered by Otha and the order to be part of an order, but are not themselves a part of that decision. Interesting. So they, they, it's the idea of someone who can see the future, who knows that you're important. So they're going to pencil you in into their plans and consider you a chess piece on their board, whether they are active or not in that. So this is this this has that shades of of strangeness and darkness and uh, highlights the if Otha Herstog were not as good of a person as he is, this could be terrifying. Yep. Uh, but they do go out of their way. Indeed, on the next page, they have Herzog's true agenda, which is from a redacted anonymous ISRA operative that goes into, okay, what's Otha all about? He has these terrifying powers if they were in the wrong hands, and some of the things he does could be looked askance, but to date, he's always done the right thing. Uh, and it looks like he has a good agenda for people. Let's let's thank the Lord that this appears to be the right, a good person with all of this power, because it could easily go bad. Right. Is there an undercurrent of of sinisterness in the ISRA in first edition, or is that mostly absent? Because from the story path edition, they seem very benevolent. Here's the thing: they can clearly want to add sinister layers but then they go back and emphasize in character and out of character otha is not hiding anything Mm -hmm. they're like he could have secrets but he doesn't we're telling you he does not have secrets and it's a really interesting tone to take because it's white wolfy. It's a very white wolfy book where you can tell they want to make a thing sinister, and then they back away from it. Like, nah, yeah. no, it's really not sinister. Like, it, it could be. Like, it's up to this. I think they're saying it's up to you, storyteller. Do you want to make this sinister? Go ahead. But they then they really work to be like, nah, it's not sinister. Yeah, uh, it, it's. It's White Wolf eating its own tail a little bit, in my opinion, Try, trying to use its old sauce against itself. I, I take the tack that, like, no, it, it, they are the good guys. Like, more than any other order, these are the good, clearly the good guys. They have less secrets in the, in the, in, in things. Here's, yeah. here's the one thing. This is a spoiler. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to listen to this, skip, like, a couple of minutes. There is a segment of Otha's autobiography memoir in here where he talks about the visions and voices he heard before he went through the Prometheus Chamber. It is clear for anyone that has read the newest edition of the story path, a story guide section, the, the story secret section, who is talking to him. But in this edition, we don't yet have any information on the Doyen or any of that, of that stuff. But if you know that, reading this you're like oh i know who's talking to him yeah this was back in the period before like when when the benefactors were a mystery to everyone mm-hmm. uh, and okay. this was one of the this was one of the first puzzle pieces of what was going on and I actually misspoke earlier because there is another faction after this and this this is the secret police so the quidaya not the secret police they're very much the open police the al alif are the the actual they are the secret they are not publicly acknowledged in any way but they are the hunters of rogue clear sentience 
And they're the ones that are run by Abbas Kastami, yeah. who that's just not his original name. He is the person that used to be a, a war criminal and is trying to reform himself. Yeah. So yeah, then we get a really good timeline in the school school of the the core book of it's actually an account of Otha Herzog of his history and the history of the Psi Order. And and as you're right, he has very little secrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this and even the 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 only thing that he does not really talk about is is the doyen because they didn't want to talk about that just yet and he has his own reasons for keeping it secret there is a sidebar here literally it is Mm -hmm. it's bars on the side of the main content and occasionally they do this in this edition where there's an unrelated story or a news piece and it's about israel judah which is aeon's future Israel setting. And the idea of a return to temple orthodoxy and temple Judaism, that is a really interesting topic in Judaism and a really interesting topic in this game setting. I would probably not touch this with a 10-foot pole, but they talk about the country basically shutting off all of its borders and people fleeing if they are not willing to be subservient to the temple orthodoxy and i don't know i found that an interesting hook for anyone willing to dive into that it would have to be a a really the right group to do it Mm -hmm. but it's interesting that it's here because it's not relevant to anything else in this book yeah it it that yeah, that was a very interesting. And I, I know in for in second edition, story path edition, they also take a pretty light touch with Israel Judah. They mention a few things about some actually some very interesting things. I believe that we talked about it when we talked about the core book about them having a secret side program. But I think for reasons that everyone's going to understand, a light touch has taken us because it is one of the more active problems in our world currently, and. I understand them taking a light touch as much as I would like to know more about that secret side program. There's another sidebar in this area from the Aeon Trinity directly talking about the voices and the benefactors. And it makes it very clear that the Aeon Council knows what's up and probably because they have talked about it with the proxies and both the proxy council and the Aeon Council are choosing not to reveal this information. Chaz, do you have any thoughts about either of those two sidebars before we drive forward? Yes, on the first one, but I don't know that this podcast is the right place to to, to do that. As as an anti-Zionist Jew, I think restoration of the temple is a terrible, terrible idea and has no business happening. I'm not sure that that we need to go into that any further. Okay, fair. fair enough. The last bit that we'll talk about in the terms of the ISRA in place section is that one of the secrets that is not that is talked about but not revealed until the out of place section is the location of the ISRA headquarters, which was the thing that I my manga before, Huruf Al Haya. Huruf uh, Al Hai. which is they acknowledge that they have a secret headquarters, but they don't tell anyone where it is. And it's talked about several times in this section in a very much of like, yeah, we have it. And no, we're not telling you where it is. Like they're very upfront about the fact that they're not going to tell you something. And uh, that's revealed where it is in the main text in the story path edition. Yes. So it's not a player or storyteller secret. Mm-hmm. It's on the moon. It's hidden in the moon. Yeah, it's in the moon. It was ho- a big section of the moon was hollowed out by uh, a Bolan Atuan, and then it was built inside this giant hollowed out cavern. Cool, but it's interesting how they present it here. Yeah. Uh, I, next don't, we... I don't know that that really needs to be kept secret to be cool. 
it, it, it's kind of cool as one of those open secrets things. Mm-hmm. Like the player know the players know it and the storytellers know it. It's just not something that's widely known in setting. Right. And those kinds of secrets are cool too because they set the tone for what organizations want to keep secret. Right. So next mm-hmm. we have the in-play section on Luna. And this really shines in my opinion. We get a lot of maps. We get a lot of art. We get a lot of detail in play. And I'm going to call out something that I adore and have always adored. On page 29, we get a very excellent picture of a one of the domes, the interior of one of the domes. And on one of the buildings, right, right above an advertisement for Orgasoft, we have what is very clearly the White Wolf Game Studio logo. <laughs> So I love the idea that in the Aeon Trinity, White Wolf was a thing and that we were on the 15th edition of Vampire where we went through the Aberrant War and everything. And I, I want to play that game. I want to play the Vampire of the Aeon, in the Aeon universe. It'd be a really meta game that would be super fun to do. It would. Yeah. I, 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 I think I asked at one point if, this, if there's an Onyx version in the Story Paths condition. I don't think I ever got an answer on that one. But You know what would be really cool? To run Anima and then have a MMO that you're playing be a, an actual World of Darkness MMO. <laughs> that it would be a fun callback. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Right. So this in-play section, it's very, it'll be very familiar to anyone who's read Terra Firma and the core book of, of the Story Path edition. It goes over a lot of the same information. A lot of the same places are there. Some of the details are uh, rearranged, particularly the biggest difference is the fact that grav crystals were uh, not invented during the first push of lunar exploration and colonization. In Story Path Edition, grav crystals were invented during the Nova Age. So there is a very interesting social divide between people who grew up in the age of grav crystals and people who grew up earlier. So there is people who have a disability, essentially, because they grew up in a low-gravity environment. And there is social commentary about the relationship of people who have this disability and who don't. This is a thing of, mostly this is aging people and people who live in underserved areas of Luna, where the grav crystal network is not either up-to-date or in disrepair. Did they take out LGs completely from... Yeah, I think, they, I think they oh. did. I think they basically said because grab crystals were such an a, a established technology at that time, it's not a big issue. Interesting. I have feelings on that. I don't necessarily know if it's bad, but I think it is good commentary. The mm-hmm. the setup here, it is not, from my perspective, ne- ableist. I think it's fairly true to what could exist in, in a realistic setting. Do people want to play that? No, I can understand that. I just think it's interesting. Like I've always included them when I've included Luna. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I think it's an. I think similar to the the mutant metaphor in X Men comics, it's a, it's a fertile playground to talk about disability and differentness. And it's not, in in my opinion, a fully able bodied person. I don't think it, it's exploitative the way they presented it in first edition it, it does add for some interesting social commentary they do have mechanics in story path edition about low gravity adaptation they essentially present it as a bonus a benefit rather than a hindrance which is another way to do it but i i do think that we lost something about that social commentary when that shift but yeah so the benefit of this section of the luna in place section 
is the benefit of most first edition is the, the, the nice, excellent full color art and the in-play perspective of these places. I think it's a, it's a great read in terms of like all the little details that you get from an in-play perspective. And then this is paired when we go into the out-of-play perspective with a really good like supplemental out-of-play discussion of all these places. Maps, I, sorry, the, the maps, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you already mentioned them, but like the maps here give me a sense of scope that we didn't get in terra firma. Like the map of Luna shows you on an actual image of the moon, how much territory is taken up by these various places. Knowing how far Boltzmann Crater is from Olympus, which Boltzmann Crater in Olympus in the adventure we talked about earlier, not today, but in an episode, I don't remember which, Darkness Rising, I think, yeah. in Darkness Rising. Mm-hmm. Knowing how far away from those places, that, that's a long distance. And knowing that, rearranges the way I would tell that story and that trip between Olympus to Boltzmann Station or Boltzmann Crater, particularly if I'm going to use this in the Story Path edition, I'm going to add an encounter there potentially or some moment for a story to be told when you're moving from train platform to train platform on your way to Boltzmann Crater. That's... Absolutely. I'm always very interested to see maps. I think it's been something that to me has been a major inspiration for storytelling in RPGs. And I think it's sometimes a little harder to do that in a sci-fi RPG because you've got such different scales when you're, you're talking what maps would be useful. Mm-hmm. Also, if the sci-fi setting is Earth, like it's just a map of Earth. So you need to figure out what you're doing that is making it a, a storytelling tool. So I'd love to, to take a look at these maps and get a sense for what they imagine Luna being like from a, a geographic perspective. Yeah, the, the, the two main maps that they have in this section is a map of Olympus, which in terms of a map, it's less it's less useful in terms of like laying out the city, it, it, but it is very good in terms telling you how this city is constructed with everything on top of each other, but it's also spread out in, in ways because it's, it's very much a group of colony settlements that grew together. And the map illustrates that really well. And then you have another map that shows Luna where you have just, basically it's a bunch of dots on the lunar surface which show you where things are in relation to one another. And then you have a map of the Lagrange points and the near space Earth to Moon, which is very interesting. And yeah, and then it does go into talking about near space and all of the space stations and other installations that are out in the space between Earth and the Moon, which is there are there are a good dozen of them, and they all they all have really interesting things. Like there's a hotel, there's a space dock, factories, and and the like, and they have decent detail on all of them. There's a prison. There's a mm-hmm. space prison that like there may be things coming that talk about similar ideas in in the Trinity Continuum. Like that's cool. Space prisons neat. Oh, yeah. Like from a sci-fi perspective, like. Let me go do a breakout in a space prison. Like, Escape from space jail. Yep. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but yeah, so yeah, and then we get a very good timeline of the moon, which breaks it down you know, year by year, going from the Nova Age. It starts at 1969, first lunar landing, down to 2120, and it gives us a very good breakdown of what happened when. So then we transition into the out-of-place situation, where we get the a fiction, which is a very much a detective story on the set on the moon with a clairsentient protagonist. It's very noir. It's incredibly new, and I adore the in-play presentation of clairsentience, how a, how a detective who can extend its senses and get prophetic visions does his job while still in a very hard-boiled detective way. There's a character called like the man with the holographic hair who is not necessarily an antagonist, but a, an opposite number from the president, from the organized crime faction of the moon. And it, it all gets represented in a very, very good noir, action-heavy, psychedelic way, which I'm a big fan of. It's a great read. You mentioned the holographic thing, and I think that's a good thing to point out. One of the conceits of both this edition and of ISRA in general is the idea of holography being a metaphor for the universe, as in the universe being a holographic universe. There's an entire book about the holographic universe, if you're a nerd like <laughs> me. But it's a big metaphor in this edition that doesn't carry over to the story path. I think rhetorically, it is really interesting to use it as a way of describing interacting with a universe from a clairsentient standpoint, because what is reality when you can see reality from the fifth dimension. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. And also holograms are a pretty big deal in the setting as in general. Mm -hmm. So much so, I don't know if we ever talked about this. The Joe hologram is a term for every, the everyman right. in yeah. Infinity that they, they talk about in, in first edition a lot. It's because holograms are everywhere. And that, that, that piece of it doesn't come through as much in the story path edition. I think part of that is the lack of the in-setting material. And then I think part of it is it's just been de-emphasized. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a it's an esoteric element that doesn't necessarily add anything unless you want to be super esoteric like me. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think there is a especially among who I would see as the core fan base for White Wolf and Onyx Path games, there is a, a desire for rpgs to touch on the intellectual and and uh, touch on big interesting esoteric ideas so I, I think i think sometimes that 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 feels missing to me in the story path edition but rolling back to the previous point i think there is something enticing about hard-boiled clairsentient detectives on the moon because that was the, the first character that i made for aeon was also a, a clairsentient lunar detective um <laughs> I was a, a ministry clairsentient for that, actually. But just there is something very cool about using, seeing through time to solve crimes on the moon. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's so really sexy. There's a lot we could dig into in this second section. There's a couple of like key things I want to touch on. Mm -hmm. I want to go backwards real quick. The Dramatis Personae, the NPC section of this book, is worth it on its own. I think you should read this if you want to use Hersog as a character. It gives you just enough, I think, to really 
humanize him, to present him in play. It gives you a bunch of other characters who you can either use as written or adjust to fit. And the templates they provide are fun. Yes. Like the character templates are fun characters to either play or present as NPCs. And the art on them is phenomenal. Fantastic. Like I I I believe this is Melissa Iran. It looks like her I style, think so. but yep. yeah, that does all the character templates. But yeah, so there's a lot, like I said, you said there is a lot in the out of play section. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very much a a deeper examination of the stuff that was presented in the, in the in play section yep. from a bit more of an outsider objective view. I think that this book is worth reading cover to cover from a story path perspective because it is chock full of detail and data. To that, how well do the characters slot into the story path edition? I the the template, the character templates very easily. Like you could run them straight pretty much all as written. Most of the Mashriki and the other notable clairsentients, I think you would have to sand down slightly, but you could use them. There are a couple, I think, that fit better as ministry members or a couple that fit better as antagonistic former clears or something like that. But you could use them almost all out of the box with a little polishing. And there's going to be some narrative math and either way, because there's differences between the settings. Yeah. Right. Does that section also include big characters for Luna as well, or is that mainly focused on Isra? There are some key lunar figures as well. In, I'm going to spoil something, in, but it changes in the next edition anyway, Story Path edition. They tell you who the president is in this. Um, mm-hmm. They don't really. They, they tell you that she is a neutral and that's it. They don't tell you, give you a name or anything like that. But knowing that I think is interesting that that was what they were going with. I would make her a talent or something else personally. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Yeah. Dark Star um, Nova. Dark right. Star Nova. Dark Star Nova. <laughs> that's good too. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in here. The clairsentient abilities that they have, because they do have some mechanics here for clairsentients, yep. are in a sec- in a story path edition are great examples for the aptitude shaping and creative use. Obviously you have to throw out the mechanics for for them, but they are great ideas that you can try and map on using the Prometheus Unbound, the more freeform psi rules. And some of them could be skill tricks that you could use as well. Like there are things you could do with the powers in here. Not common for me to say about like old edition mechanics, but like actually think you could make use of these in a, in lots of different ways, like Scott mentioned or other ways in the story path. Yeah, absolutely. It has a pretty decent, like ISRA and society. I, I love every, anytime we get the, here's our opinion on this faction. Here's our opinion on that faction. It's, it's really good. Like I particularly like this one just because their sentences are cool and they have a good perspective on things, particularly one of the, the one when they talk about ab, because it highlights something that I think is a difference between the settings when it comes to aberrance. And because they, they shifted their, their terminology from taint as the corruptive force that drives aberrants mad. And they've shifted that to, in Aeon, they call it corruption. They don't really have a defined term for it when they talk, when they have it in aberrant. But in first edition, you definitely get this idea that taint in and of itself is a distinct but related thing from quantum. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and they, they have a, a section basically saying if, if Otha could remove the taint from the aberrant, he would do it in a heartbeat because he believes that the taint itself is the enemy. And that is a sentiment that we don't get in StoryPath edition, this idea of taint as a thing uh, that is dissectable and separate from quantum or corruption or, or what, what have you. Well, we I think it's implied because mm -hmm. because there's definitely something different going on with the aberrants of the Aeon era than the aberrants of the Nova Age. And it's it's not just a, a philosophical expansion of the aberrant inhuman faction. It is it is something deeper than that that clearly ramped up in the aberrant war. So I think I think it, again it's it's probably one of those things that would be useful to bring into the philosophical milieu of the story path edition even if there isn't a, a mechanical expression of it. Yeah, and we have Eden's Novas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that to me opens that question like clearly there are Novas that can be non-corrupted, right? What does that mean? How do we get there? Can we fix everyone? Do we revive the Chitrabanu to do this? Like, mm -hmm. and most importantly, what did those Doyen really do? Yeah, right. <laughs> we know it's their fault. We know it's their fault. Absolutely, of course, it's their fault. But yeah, so yeah, definitely a lot of really, really good things to dig into in this book. I think that all the other order books are very going to be very similar in terms of that. Some of them are better than others, but this is. This is the cream of the crop. It was the first one. And I, I to this day, I love this book. I, I, I reference it frequently because I am running a Luna-based game. So it is, it is definitely one that has not left, it has not been put back on the shelf in many a month. And so, sorry, I, I'm just going to reiterate. If uh, you run Luna, you should have this book just to run Luna because it gives you more detail than we've got in story path. Yeah, more places, more factions, great art references. It's good. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, I guess from my outside perspective, it sounds like absolutely if I were running a, a Luna game, I would go to this book. Thinking about my own to Aeon, I, I doubt very much that I would run a an order-focused game. So I'm probably less likely to go to this for the Isra content. Asking a hard question. If there was one thing from this book that you would want to see updated to the Story Path Edition, um, what would it be? I mean, I have my answer. It's Muzzy and Bang. So <laughs> much so that I am, I currently have a Story Path Nexus book, book in the layout, layout process to do that very thing. I love it as a concept. And it's it's just really cool because I, I it ties into my the the, the thing about Story Path that I that I wish was there was an examination of what normal people are because that what's that's what makes a sci-fi setting live for me is we've got our heroes we've got our people with powers but what's the man on the street doing what's the what's the woman in the cafe's life like that's what makes a sci-fi setting sing for me for me I would love to see a really detailed collection of maps and location details mirrored from here for story path editions luna because i'm that to me really sings like you said about maps like maps help me visualize and build stories and like create connections it would also be useful for a virtual tabletop setting to be like here is a here is the mezzanine which the mezzanine is a really important like spot in olympus having a map of the mezzanine would be fantastic and then a map of the pit under like in the underworld would be super helpful for 
I'm going to run this story now. I run several games in Luna because I love the setting. Maps would just help me to do that in a way that I think players would latch onto too. All right. Well, definitely a recommendation on this one from, from us. It's, it's just a fantastic book. Beyond that, I think it's very important that you all keep your arms around the Trinity Continuum.